Well, good morning. How in the world are you today? We've kind of skipped right over fall, haven't we? I love falls in Wisconsin. As uh, Pastor Jeff said, this is the 25th year that my family have lived in Wisconsin. I lived 26 years in Iowa, now 25 years in Wisconsin, and I love the falls here. I think I, I, would, I would argue with anybody anywhere in our beautiful country that Wisconsin's the best place to be in October and uh, early November for the fall. I just love it here. Well, I want to say thank you to Highland Community Church. Uh, you are one of... Um, about 117 churches around Wisconsin, and one in Kearney, Michigan, in the UP, uh, that comprise the Forest Lakes District of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And we believe that we are better together. And I am so thankful for the way in which uh, the staff here at Highland, the church family, the leadership, have been so willing to engage and support uh, the other churches in our district, and you are tr a tremendous gift to our district, and so thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you uh, as district superintendent to you for how you've been so supportive. Well, this morning, let's, let's begin by prayer. I think there's nothing like prayer that shows our dependence upon God, and I'd like for us to just ask him to help as we invest these next few moments. Now, if you're inclined to take a nap this morning, I just pray don't, don't snore, okay, the person around you. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was with Pastor Jared down in Haiti, preaching in a church that was about a third this size with almost 600 people packed in it. It was 102 degrees. They'd been worshiping since 7 o'clock in the morning. I got up to preach at, at about 11. I'm up preaching. They're all dressed to the nines, no air conditioning, uh, no fans, no anything, and all of a sudden, I see these people walking up and down the aisles, and I saw this poor gentleman sitting over here to my left who'd fallen asleep. And a woman came up with a rolled-up newspaper and whacked him in the back of the head. <laughs> and she pointed up at me. And I was trying with all my composure to keep it together. I said, that would not fly in Wisconsin. That would not fly. So let's ask God's help as we look into his word this morning. Father, you are a good, good Father. It's who you are. And I pray this morning as people have come into this room this morning, Father, there are people carrying burdens, family things that they're processing and working through, physical trials and emotional pain, and God, you're able to meet each of us right where we are. We pray for our country today. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the people in the southeastern part of our country who are still without power and uh, have been displaced because of the hurricanes. We ask God for your grace to come and full bear upon them. And Lord, now we ask that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word this morning. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning I want to start by asking you a question, then I'd like for us to go into God's Word and look at a character from Scripture by the name of Moses, and then we'll come back to an application, several pieces of application from God's Word. But what's the question I want to start with this morning? Here's the question. What is in your hands? Take your hands out, look at them, and you're saying, <laughs> there's nothing in my hands. Uh, seeing teenagers, is there cell phones in your hands there? What, are, what, what, I mean, what do I mean when I ask you what are in your hands? 
What I mean by that is, what are the passions, what are the things that God has placed in your hands, giftedness, resources, treasures, talents, time, what are the things that God has placed in your hand? Now, some of you this morning are very crafty, in a good way, I mean that. You, you have abilities with crafts and et cetera, and uh, I remember there was a group of, of gals that would get together and they would make blankets, and then we would take those blankets to uh, some nursing homes this time of year. And that, that might be a way that you could use that gift. That's something that you have a, an ability. Maybe some of you have a strong back this morning, and October's coming, and there might be an elderly neighbor who needs their yard raked. That's something that, that you can do. Some of you might have the gift of encouragement. Everybody needs to be encouraged. Uh, I've got a dear friend who loves to text me. Um, and, and I remember a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready to preach, and the, the thing, I was in the southern part of the state, and the last thing he said in his text, it says, and don't drop the ball this morning. And it's, that was his encouragement to me. But some of us have the gift of encouragement and could write notes or send texts or be of encouragement to others. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says this, whatever your hand finds to do, <laughs> do it with all your might. The question, what has God placed in your hands. What passions, abilities, talents, gifts has he given to you? Moses, uh, this man that we're going to look at in scripture, is mentioned 750 times in the Old Testament and almost 80 times in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 23 to 25 talk about Moses in this way. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Pharaoh at that time, living in Egypt, there were a growing number of uh, Israeli children and families. The Israelites were growing in number. They'd been there because Joseph had taken them 400 years earlier there because of a famine. And now that family had grown to the place where Pharaoh's looking out the king and he sees all of these people who have the ability to possibly overthrow them. So he says to the midwives, I want you to kill the, the, the boys that are born. Well, the midwives were godly women. They prayed. Oh, that people would pray today about the sanctity of children and how important that is. And they said, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this. We can't take the lives of these, of these boys. And they said, by the way, these, these uh, Israeli women, these, these Jewish women, they are hardy and they don't need us midwives and we show up and the babies are already born and gone. He said, well, then let's throw them in the Nile River. Throw the boys in the Nile River was the edict that came down. In obedience, they placed their son Moses, this little three-month-old boy, in a basket and set him by the Nile River. And his sister was watching, and along came Pharaoh's daughter, discovered the baby, saved him from the river, and adopted him and named him Moses. Hebrews 11 goes on to say in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. God used Moses in powerful ways. The first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were penned by Moses. Numbers 13 or 12 verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people on the face of the earth. Listen to what God said at Moses' funeral in Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 to 12. 
This was God's eulogy of Moses. There was not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So the first 40 years of Moses' life are spent, after his first three months, being grown, growing up in a palace with, I'm sure, a very uh, nice existence with all the things that uh, a family could offer, the Pharaoh's daughter could give him of luxury and of, of, of ease. Those were the first 40 years of his life. Well, one day he was walking and he saw some uh, Israeli people out working and there was an Egyptian taskmaster and this man is just beating ruthlessly this Jewish man. Moses looks around, makes sure no one's looking, goes over and strikes and kills the Egyptian taskmaster, buries him in the sand, and thinks, boy, I've just done something taking care of uh, some of my Israeli people. Well, he comes back the next day, sees two uh, Jewish men fighting on the work, job, on the work uh, place, and he comes to them and appeals to them. They say, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Well, he becomes fearful thinking now that that news is leaked out. Pharaoh hears about it. His, his, his picture goes out on Channel 9 and on Channel 7, Channel 12. It's all over Egypt. His face appears on the internet. Everybody knows that we have a murderer and it's Moses. And so he, he, he takes, takes off and leaves. Now we come to Exodus chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, if you would open them this morning to Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses, a 40-year-old man at this time, a former prince, turned murder, turned fugitive, and now we pick up the story of Moses' life in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He got married to a woman by the name of Zipporah, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this mountain is also called, this mountain range is called Mount Sinai. And this mountain range is also where Moses, years later, is going to stand before God and receive the Ten Commandments. This is that same Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and this is where Moses is out watching sheep. And as he's out watching sheep, so this former prince <laughs> turned murderer, turned fugitive, now shepherd is out watching sheep on this mountain range. And the angel of the Lord, verse 2, appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not being consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, we read Scripture, and we kind of glaze over things. This was a big deal. He's walking along, watching the sheep, sees a bush that's on fire, and this butane bush is not being consumed. And he says, I'm going to go over and see this great sight. And when he walks over, verse 4 tells us, the Lord saw that he turned aside, and God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said to him, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was, what does it say? Afraid to look at God. 
about a month ago, my wife and I watched the movie I Can Only Imagine. I would commend that movie to you. I think it's a tremendous story of the man named Bart Millard who was used to write the song, the hit song, I Can Only Imagine. And in that song, he says, will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? And I believe, friends, that in in the presence of God someday, if you're one of God's children, you stand before him today, you'll be on your face before him because of his holiness, his glory his glory, his character, his awesomeness. Moses is on his face before the Lord. Verse 9, then God says to him, now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Friends, that's encouraging to me. Those words are encouraging to me. God says, I have heard the cry of my people. That gives me hope. The same God 3,500 years ago who, who, who heard the cries of his people and he saw their oppression. That same God is true to his character today. He hears you. The only time he won't hear you is if you regard iniquity in your heart and you try and reach out to him through sin. But that same God is there listening to you today and he sees what is going on in, in your life. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God was sending Moses to free his people from slavery and bondage. 3,500 years later, God is still sending us as his ambassadors with a message of freedom to people. There are people all over our community who are in chains of fear, chains of sin and addiction, chains of, of pain, And and Jesus said in, in, in John 8, verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is the fruit? What is the truth? Jesus said in John 1 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is still about that message of freedom. As we sang this morning, praise God, my chains are gone, I've been set free. No doubt in a room this size, there are people in this room who are still in chains, in bondage to fear, to anxiety, to addiction. And God who saw and heard the the cry of his people says, I will set you free. I will set you free. Well, (laughs) Moses responds to God. God says, I am. Got him. Moses says, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God says, listen to this, I will be with you. What a promise. Moses said, who am I? He was having an identity crisis when God asked him to go. God says, I know who I am. I am the great, the sovereign, the self-existent, all-sufficient, eternal, and unchangeable God, and I will be with you. Verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us, then Moses answers God and says, behold, look, they don't believe me, or they're not going to listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The The Lord then said to him, what is in your hand? And Moses replies, a staff, a shepherd's stick. Then God says to him in verse 3, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. 
And Moses did the smartest thing in this text. He ran from it. I don't know about you, but I have a deathly fear of snakes. If there was a snake that was brought in here this morning, I would be pushing older people and small children to get out of the way. Self-preservation would kick in. I, I, I do not like snakes at all. I am, I am terrified of snakes. I remember a few years ago, I was playing softball out at Sunnyvale, uh, the, the softball complex out off 72nd. And a couple of us men were standing around with our exploits talking about our greatness on the, on the softball diamond. And all of a sudden, about a five-and-a-half-foot pine snake comes right between us. I was, again, looking for small children to sacrifice <laughs> and cars to jump on and trees to climb to get out of the way of this thing. And my wife walks over and picks the thing up, the most insane thing I've ever seen. What are you doing, woman? And she picked it up and she says, this thing hasn't harmed any of you. Guys were there with their aluminum bats ready to do war. She takes the thing over and sets it free. <laughs> God told Moses in verse 4, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. That's the wrong place to grab it. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. Why did God tell Moses to do this? I believe God was having him face his fears. He said, who am I? Grab it by the tail <laughs> and it turned back into a staff and the reason why is found in verse 5 that they may believe that the lord the god of their fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob has appeared to you now i believe that this snake that was uh, from his staff was a cobra you say john why do you think that if you look at uh, ancient history of egypt at that time you can see that the the, the pharaoh had a headdress with a hooded snake on his headdress. And so I believe, the, as you read about Egyptian history at this time, that the cobra was a sign of power in this culture. And so in Exodus chapter 7, a few chapters later, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and throws his, snake, or his stick on the ground and it turns into a snake... Pharaoh's not impressed. He calls his wise men out. They each throw their staff on the ground. They also turn to snakes, I believe to cobras. And then what happens? God's snake eats the other three snakes, which I'm sure didn't make Pharaoh happy, showing God's power and sovereignty over what was taking place. Back in the text in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Some believe that maybe because he'd been 40 years in the, um, in, the, in the wilderness, he hadn't spoken Egyptian, that maybe he'd forgotten that tongue. Or others have said that maybe he had a cleft palate or a, a stuttering. We don't know what it was, but Moses said, I can't speak. And then the Lord says to him, who has made man's mouth, who's made him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses' first excuse was, who am I that they would believe me? God says, I will be with you. Second one was, I can't speak, I can't talk. God says, I made your mouth, I'll help you. Verse 13 says, Moses again, a third thing that he throws up to God says, Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This was God, Moses' third pushback to God. 
and God's anger burned. I've, I've wondered, why was God's anger burned against Moses? I believe that God could deal with Moses' insecurities and his fear. Who am I? <laughs> I can't talk. But when Moses says to God, why don't you just send somebody else? That's direct disobedience. And I believe that angers God. When we, when we disobey and we say to God, in effect, no, that causes God's anger to be burned. And, he, and then God responds and says, is that not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. Out in the middle of this desert, here shows, Aaron shows up. I'm going to send him with you, and he'll, he'll speak, and he'll help. He'll put words in your mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. and with, He will teach you both what to do. He will speak for you and to the people, and, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take this stick, and take in your hand this staff, which you shall see do the signs. Well, God is calling Moses to go to people in slavery and let them know that their God had heard them, that he cared. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things tasks. God asked Moses, what is it that I placed in, what is it that is placed in your hand? Moses must have remembered a time when he had a scepter in his hand, and now he had this dry, dead stick in the wilderness. There's always something in our hand, and our success is not measured by its capacity, but by our obedience and the full use of what God has placed in our hands. Two things that I see in this text from Moses' life. First of all, I see God's power coming to bear. God uses what we have in our hand. Moses had a rod in his hand. What is it that you have in your hand? Page after page of God's word is filled with examples of God's power coming to bear. There's Shamgar, who with an ox goad in his hand, killed 600 Philistines and was empowered by God to save Israel. There was Samson, who with the jawbone of a donkey, killed 1,000 Philistines. Then one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is this, this little boy who Jesus is teaching over five to 7,000 people. And his disciples come and they say, you've been talking a long time, Jesus. These people are hungry. We need to let them go and get something to eat. And Jesus turns the table on the 12 and says, why don't you guys feed them? And I'm sure Judas had a crisis there because he knew the checkbook and there was not that much money in there to feed 7,000 people. And so they, they go on a reconnaissance mission, and I believe Andrew was the first children's worker in the Bible. He found this little boy and talked him out of his lunch. Five loaves and two small fish are brought to Jesus. Jesus multiplies it. The one, one of the uh, miracles that's listed in all four of our Gospels. And there were 12 baskets that were left over, and everybody had their fill for lunch. Can you imagine being that little boy who surrendered his lunch that day? Comes home to his mom. Mom says, how was the lunch I packed for you today? He says, mom, you're never going to believe what happened to that lunch. 7,000 people were fed because of your lunch this morning. God uses seemingly insignificant things that when surrendered to him in obedience, he can accomplish amazing feats. Another thing that I see in this text is, is God's promises. In Exodus 3.11, Moses says, who am I? God said, I will be with you in verse 12. Moses doubts God in Exodus 4.10 and says, I'm not eloquent either in the past or uh, now I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And God's promise in Exodus 4.12 is, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. 
Moses' disobedience in, in verse 13. He says, Lord, please send someone else. And God says to him in verse 15, I'll be with your mouth. And by the way, here comes your brother. And he can talk. A promise from God is a statement that we can depend on with absolute confidence. Did you know there are over 3,570 promises in God's word? 3,573 promises. That's enough for a few years, one a day. Some are conditional. Delight yourself in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Others are not conditional. Listen to some of these promises that God makes. His presence in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. His provision in Philippians 4, 19. I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. God's leading in Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge me and I will direct your steps. God's rest. Anybody here need rest this morning? Anybody for honesty in church? Jesus said in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. How about forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's goodness, Psalm 84, 11, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Application for us this morning is this. God has placed things in our hands. Gifts, talents, abilities, resources. What are we doing with those things that he has given to us, that he's placed in our hands? After Moses surrendered his rod to the Lord, no longer was it called Moses' rod. If you look, he and Aaron's rod became the rod of God, used over and over again in the subsequent chapters of, of God's word. And eventually that rod, the rod of God, ended up in the Ark of the Covenant for the people to be reminded of God's power and his work. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Dear friends, there are, are people in need <laughs> all around us. Uh, there, there, are, there are needs everywhere we look, if we will have eyes that will be open and attentive to maybe what God is wanting to do in and through us. If we'll listen, if, if, if we will be in, in a posture of obedience. You see, friends, I believe that one day, if, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will have to give an account for those things that he's given to you. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we can't take out a credit card or a checkbook or whatever. Our works will be called into question. Some will be like wood, hay, and stubble, be gone in a moment. Other things will be crowns that will cast back at the feet of Jesus. God has given us abilities, talents, talents, resources. What is it that he's placed in our hand, and what are you going to do with that which he has given to you? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the example of a man named Moses, <laughs> a man who was what I would call uh, reluctant in his obedience. And yet, Lord, as he surrendered to you, he was used powerfully. And as an example for us in Scripture uh, of a man with an ordinary shepherd's staff in his hand, 
that when surrendered to you was used to do extraordinary things. Lord, help us as we assess that which you have done for us and how we can use those things for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.